So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn there with me. We're in the middle of a series um, that we've called the, the Song of Ascents. Really, we didn't call them that. That's what they've been called for, uh, for centuries. And it was uh, the people of God, God's chosen people, would journey yearly. There's three annual feasts uh, that they would um, go up to Jerusalem from all different directions. And really, this collection of songs, the Song of Ascents, were like their playlist of songs that they would sing on their journey as they head towards Jerusalem for uh, the feasts. And so here, this psalm that we're going to look at today, I think, is, is very timely for us. It, it really is continuing a theme that we've really been looking at over the past several weeks. Um, and so as we've been looking at it, maybe from a little bit different angles of God as our help, that He is um, our keeper. We've looked at these great truths of Scripture that God is on our side if you're a believer. And we're going to continue that theme a little bit this morning. So if you have, like, for instance, if you have an ESV Bible, I'm not sure what some of the different translations have in front of it, but if you look even at the heading, you see the Lord surrounds His people, and we're going to see this theme. But I really believe that the time that we are living in is one of a lot of uncertainty. I think a lot of people are concerned, whether that's with inflation and job security, or if that is um, the conflicts in our world. You look at Ukraine and you hear what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, or you look to the Middle East, or you look even to China and other places across the world, and you see such, you such, maybe such chaos and you're concerned, maybe in your own home, maybe in your relationships at your home, you're, you're concerned over different things and you're wondering, maybe asking these kind of questions like, does God really care about me? Does God actually love me? Does he hear my prayer when I call out to him? And I think these kind of questions come very natural to us. And this morning, I want us to look at this psalm from a perspective of really what a lot have titled it as a, um, a psalm of confidence, a trust psalm, a faith psalm, a psalm of faith for those who follow Jesus. But I want to ask you this question this morning. Have you ever have you ever really met someone who seemed to be so confident through times where we wondered, like, where you're wondering, like, man, they're going through so much suffering and pain. And you, though, have been from an outsider, maybe observed, and you're going like, where does someone like that find their confidence? Like, how are they seem so upbeat when you're like, I know their situation, or maybe you've heard, or maybe they were sharing you, and they're sharing some the struggles that have gone in their life, and, and they've shared those things, and you're, and you're looking at them, and you're going like, how, how do you have such confidence? Maybe you've never met someone like that, because you're like, you know what, I'm wondering the same thing. Like, I don't know how someone can have confidence. Um, as a pastor for about 15 years and getting to walk through this uh, with different people, I've been amazed at some of the people, and you're like, I'm going into the situation, coming in ready to, to just offer my condolences or just be there to listen, and then I come away blessed going like, I'm not sure I would be doing that. I'm not sure I could have that kind of confidence. I don't know if I could see that. Well, I love this psalm because it addresses some important realities about the follower of God, the person who follows God, who puts their trust in the Lord. And I want us to read this psalm together, and I want us to read it out loud. So if you have a Bible uh, with you, you're like, oh no, he's going to ask us to read it out loud. I'll read slowly. You can kind of like mimic me a little bit. But Psalm 125, and I want us to read it together. It's just five verses. I want us to read it out loud together. It's just a short psalm. It says this, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. 
As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. This is a psalm of a sense. It's a song that uh, was sung by the people of Israel. I'm going to pray uh, before we look at this psalm together. So let me pray. Father, thank you that I could talk to you as a father, that you are a father to us. And the only way that we can interact with you is through Christ. So I thank you so much for Christ, uh, for Jesus, this one who does offer us living hope through his not just his death, but his resurrection, that he is alive and alive forevermore. And because he's alive, we too can live forever with him in his presence through faith in Christ. And so I thank you for Jesus. Thank you so much. Uh, I thank you for this psalm uh, that has been speaking to my heart over the past couple weeks. And I pray that it would be an encouragement to us and maybe a challenge to some uh, for, for, of us to put our faith and our trust in the Lord. So help us today as we look at your word. We ask all of this in your wonderful name. Amen. All right, so Psalm 125. Let's look at this together. I hope you have, if you have the notes there, there was some in the back as well if you need some or something, but if you have a pen, um, you can follow along. But this psalm really gives us a clearer picture of the certainty that a person who trusts in the Lord has. And if you look just even right at verse 1, it says this, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. So again, remember, this is a journey. So the, the people of God are on a pilgrimage. They're going to Jerusalem. They're headed to really the hub of the people of God, where God's presence is manifest in Jerusalem. And so they're on their journey. They're on their way. Their eyes are they're getting closer to the city, and their eyes are looking to Mount Zion. And really, there's the, mountain of, there's the Mount of Olives and other mountains surrounding it that are even bigger. And they're walking up, and their eyes are looking ahead, and they see these mountains and they sing these words those who trust in the Lord and as they look at it and the picture that they get in their head are, are like Mount Zion which cannot be moved but abides forever you see what he, the first thing he says and this is our first point this morning is this those who trust in the Lord are unshakable they're unshakable. It's an unshakable faith. Those who trust in the Lord, it's very unshakable. They're grounded. Notice what he says. He says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. So think about it. So when someone is going through a trial, for instance, David, who, who, we, he, he does not, uh, is not given a description that this is a psalm of David, but say David, for instance, or any of the, any of the people of God that you've known, or even your, in your own life, and you're going through a trial or a difficulty or a challenge, and it's hard, someone who's grounded in their faith, that their faith is rooted in what we're going to say this morning, we're going to look at just a second, is into an object, because let's think about it, right? Like, all of us put our faith in something. It's not like our faith is imaginative. Our faith is in, a, we put it into something. 
Whether it's in a chair as you sat down this morning or you got in your car and you're putting some faith or maybe you're riding with someone, you're putting a lot of faith in that person to get you there safely on the route or, and you're putting your faith on the, in hope and that, that someone's not going to hit you coming the other direction or there's not going to be a drunk driver on the road or something like that. Your, our faith is put into something when we go through life. And here what he's saying is those who trust, notice the object, in the Lord are like Mount Zion which cannot be moved. Think about this. Go to the Gospels, right? The go- there comes some confetti from the ground, from this guy. Hope no more comes. Um, but those who put their trust in the Lord, he says, are like Mount Zion. It reminds me of in the Gospels, and I think of Peter. If you remember, Peter is one of the followers of Jesus, one of the 12 that God had called out, and he said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And he brought him in. He brings him in close, and he trains these close 12 individuals, and he's training them. And in one instance, Peter, if you remember this story, this is one of those childhood stories you probably have heard maybe at one point in your life, but here he is, he's, he, sees, he's, he sees Jesus, and he's like, all right, I'm going to, I want to, like, if, if you'll let me, I'm going to walk out to you. And so what does he do? By faith, he starts walking on actual water in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. He walks out towards, uh, towards Jesus. And what does he do? If you remember, right? When he took his eyes off of Jesus, he started, it tells us in the scriptures, as he looks down at the waves, and the wind, the water, what, you, what happens? He begins to sink. And what does Jesus do? Jesus grabs him. He, he rescues him in that water, pulls him up out of the water. So Peter here, seeing the object of his faith was on Jesus, but when he took his eyes off and his faith took to like, oh no, can my feet stay on top of this water or not? It's probably not. He sinks. Peter also, so he's a little bit struggling with his faith and understanding who God is, and they're trying to figure God out. And Jesus, who Jesus is, is he really God? Jesus asked him this question. You remember what he asked him? He, he says, he asked this to his disciples, and, and then specifically Peter answers for the disciples. He asked him, who do you say that I am? Mean? What are the people saying about me? And some would say, some were a prophet. Some were like, Elisha, come back uh, from the dead. Others, a, a good teacher. But, and then he goes very directly, he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter responds with a great statement of faith. He says, you are the Christ. He's the promised one, the Messiah, the anointed one the son of the living God. He makes this great statement. But then what happens next? Jesus says, man didn't tell you this. This was given by my father in heaven. This is, comes through the spirit. And then what does, he, what does he do there? He makes this statement. He makes this statement that's been misused and misconstrued for centuries, especially in the Catholic church. Because he says, he says, your name is Peter. And then he goes on to say, and on this rock, I will build my church. And so some, many actually, have taken that to say that, well, Peter is kind of like the establishment of the church age. And so he, from the Catholic church perspective, is he's like the first pope, and he is the leader of the church, and the church is built on Peter. But actually, we know from Peter himself that that is not the case. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 uh, through 8, Peter proclaims that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. The foundation upon which the church should be built is on Jesus. Jesus was using, really, if you re- read it in the Greek a little bit, Peter's name, Petra, uh, means little rock or a rock. And then he, he plays on that word, talking about himself, that he is the chief cornerstone. Psalm 118, Will read this earlier. Even in Psalm 118, we get the, 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 the stone that the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. 
Peter refers to that too. Jesus referred to that as of himself, that he's the one who is the chief builder. But the, 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 or sorry, the builders, those who were building the church, the, the leaders of the Pharisees and others have rejected him, the chief cornerstone. And he is who the object of our faith is. Our trust is in the Lord. He is the steady and sure foundation. He is unmovable so that when our faith is in him, we become immovable. Our faith should not shift. It shouldn't be, well, I, th- I mean, I th- if my faith is weak, if my faith isn't genuine, if it's not real, then guess what? I'm going to go with the shifting winds. I'm going to go with a new, a new philosophy of life, a way of living, or another person comes out and says, hey, this is, this is what Scripture means here, or they add, try to add to Scripture. You might be distracted and be easily uh, persuaded by false teaching. But if our faith is in the Lord, but here's the thing, this is the idea is this, our trust is in who God is. It's so important for us. This is really important. It's so important for us to know who he is. Who is God? The great reality is this, in Colossians, we looked at this for a whole two months, looking through the book of Colossians, and Colossians telling us who is Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. He's not just, he's not just like a Son of God, like as in he's like an heir and he's just one who was born from God. No, he is the image, as Paul described it, he is the image of the invisible God. It is God who is spirit that we can't quite understand and see because we don't have a picture of what spirit looks like. But yet Jesus comes and he lives on earth and we get to see who is God like? What is he like? What is his heart? Is his compassion? Is he full of love? Is he forgiving? Is he gracious and kind? Is he perfect? Is he sinless? He's all of these things, and he's showing us who God is, and that is the object of our our faith. And here's what he says. Those who put their trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. He's saying this is a firm foundation. God is the foundation upon which our faith rests. But how does someone have that kind of faith? Faith that's immovable. I think that's the important question. It's not just like, let me tell you a few truths. Like those who trust the Lord are like Mount Zion. It's unshakable. You're like, well, that's great. But I mean, I'm not sure my faith is unshakable. I feel like it's actually pretty weak. I don't think I have very much weak or much faith. And you're going like, I don't know. I love in the Gospels. This one man, he says, I believe. He's talking to Jesus. He says, I believe, but help my unbelief. Like, I believe, but like, I need, give me more belief. Give me more of this. Um, and if you've ever talked with someone who, who, uh, who seemed like they had such confident faith, I remember just a few years back, there was this family in our church, the previous church that I'd served in for about six years as the middle school and then high school pastor there. There was this one family who'd gone through an extraordinary trial. Uh, their oldest son, um, he was 12 years old. I remember meeting him. We were doing uh, an event. Him and his dad uh, had gone on this hike. We were hiking a mountain, and um, that was the first time I think I really re- recognized and knew who he was and met him, and he was on this hike with us, and, and just a few months later, he found out that he had a tumor in the back of his, the base of his skull uh, towards the, the, the neck area because he had just been having some pain and some just headaches and different things, and they didn't know what was going on, and so they take him to the doctor, and sure enough, he finds out he has this just this tumor, but this tumor is unbelievably fast growing. It is, it's, it's going to be, his, his life's going to be taken from him in a short time. 
And I remember watching as this young boy, I mean, he's 12 years old, 12 years old. I remember visiting him in the hospital uh, before surgery and then visiting him after surgery and being there with him and then watching this family go through their oldest son. Uh, this, the family had a large family. I think they have like five kids and this is their oldest son. And I remember going like, how are they, like, how are they moving? How are they functioning? Like, I don't know if I could function. Like, I'm not sure I could function through that. I want to read you one of their journal entries uh, that really encapsulated, I think, what we see with this kind of confidence, this unshakable faith. Listen to, this is his mother writing through the journey. He was towards the end of his life. He was still uh, getting worse, and uh, they had done surgeries and different things. I think he lived another seven, six, eight months, I think. I can't remember, but... Listen to what she said. This is just from the journal that she had written. She said, she's popping in the middle of, of something that she had said, but she said, but God is asking a hard thing of me. He's asking me to let go of my oldest son. He's ask, asking me to watch him die, and I don't know why. I don't know how I could possibly do this. Just at the age when my life opened up before me, Samuel's life seems to be winding down to a close. I don't think I will ever understand it in this earthly life, but listen to what she says next. She says, but one day it will all make sense. She goes on to say, I know that God is good and that he loves me, and I know that he loves our oldest son. I feel his love now more than ever. I know he will guide us through this dark valley, and he will cover me with his wings. I have been through dark valleys before, but none as dark as this. You see, man, like, how does someone have that kind of faith? How does someone endure such struggle and pain, the loss of a son? I can't imagine losing my son, who is 12, <laughs> It's how old my oldest son is. I can't, I can't even imagine that. Some of you have gone through really difficult hardships. But what is amazing is when you meet someone like that, who's, their confidence is, is being shaken. Because, I mean, listen to what she said first. But God is asking a hard thing of me. He's asking me to let go of my oldest son. He's asking me to watch him die. And I don't know why. I don't know how I could possibly do this. But what was really neat to see is to watch how she was able to do it. And she would say, only because of her faith in God the Lord. Her trust was in an unmovable God. He's unshakable, and she understood he's all-wise. Does she understand why? Absolutely not. She doesn't understand why, but yet her faith is sure, and it's unshakable. And here's what the psalmist is saying. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Look at verse 2. Verse 2, he says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Here's our next thing that we see about those who trust in the Lord. Not only are they unshakable, their faith is, is steady and sure because it's in a firm and steady foundation, the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord are surrounded by God's protective presence. Those who trust in the Lord are surrounded by God's protective presence. They understand that the Lord is with them. 
The psalmist is saying that as the mountains are surrounding, because again, there were taller mountains than Mount Zion in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area of Israel there. And he's saying as these mountains, which were a protective part of their, um, of their economy and, and the way they would, when they were defending their nation, these mountains would help protect Jerusalem, these large mountains. And he's saying as the mountains surround Jerusalem, he says, so the Lord, again, the object, the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Um, when we uh, went to adopt our, um, our daughter from China, I started learning more about China. I'm like, naturally, I'm like, let me learn some more things about China. I don't know too much. Um, and so uh, what I found out was some interesting stories because one of the places that I wanted to visit was the Terracotta Warriors. We were going to be just a few hours or even less than a few hours away uh, from there when we were where she was from and where she, we were going to adopt her from in Wainan and Xi'an. We were actually staying in Xi'an, and that's where um, the terracotta warriors are. But the story behind that is pretty crazy. This first emperor of China, his name was Qin Huang, and in 1974, so fast forward thousands of years later, in 1974 there was uh, farmers who discovered these clay warriors known now as the terracotta warriors in, Sh- in Xi'an, China. There was, they just started slowly discovering. There was eight thousand full-size I mean full-size adult male with their garb and all that stuff and then they and they had their weapons with them and he had gotten all these people to make for him this terracotta army that was going to be protecting and surrounding his tomb one day that would protect him in the afterlife and so he was going to get this huge army together of terracotta warriors not real people but anyways and, and get all these terracotta warriors to surround him and then it was like over 8,000 warriors, like 500 life-size horses. This massive army was to surround this emperor's tomb and to protect him in the afterlife. And so the emperor became so consumed by living forever that he had chemists try to find something that would give him eternal life. Naturally, right? We hear this all the time. If someone else knew, like, how can we get our lives to be longer? Let's, what's a new chemical? What's something else we can take? It's another dietary supplement that's going to help me live longer. Well, they came up with a great idea of giving him uh, mercury tablets. <laughs> and so they give him these mercury tablets, and he starts taking these mercury tablets, which likely killed him at the age of 39. Uh, took his life. So the opposite came true for him. And so, but they've buried him in this place and he surrounded himself with this army. He's hoping that this is going to protect me from the other armies, maybe the other emperors of China later or other empires. And this is going to protect me. And he's putting his faith in a bunch of clay pot (laughs) soldiers who are going to protect him in the afterlife. I think most of us surround ourselves with, with people to maybe protect our hearts. We like, like, I want kids, and the kids maybe will give me satisfaction. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll experience peace that way, because if I start having children, then they're going to love me, and they're going to show unconditional love to me, and then you learn they turn their backs on you every once in a while, right? Um, and, and, but like you find your hope in that, or you find it in um, a job, in the security of that, or in your finances, in your bank account, all these things. But here's what we see in this, this second point is this, in the second verse. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, what, what actually protects isn't having plenty of money in your bank account. That's going to protect you from life storms. Not having enough good relationships and nice friends and good people to just hang out with and, and do life together. I mean, those are great things, but that's not going to protect you from the, the life storms. He's saying, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. There's a great, um, amazing illustration of this in 2 Kings chapter 6. 
such a unique story, but this, there was this Syrian king, his name was Ben-Hadad, and this king uh, was pestering Israel, trying to conquer Israel, and he would raise up his army and try to attack Israel, but there was a prophet named Elisha at the time, and Elisha, God would speak to Elisha, Elisha would learn the battle plans of Ben-Hadad, and he would communicate to the king of Israel, hey, Ben-Hadad is getting ready to attack over here or wherever it was going to be, and so every time that Ben-Hadad would go to attack, the Syrian king would go to attack Israel, he would, the, 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 king, the, the Israelites would always get around it. They would get away every time. And over and over again, this happened. And eventually they got wind, because he thought it was a traitor in his army, he eventually got wind that there was this prophet named Elisha. And he'd heard where he was, that he was in Dothan. And so um, he, he gets his army together and he goes and he and, and surrounds um, Elisha, where he is with his servant. And his servant that morning wakes up and he goes outside and it's kind of like, you know, like you see in movies and stuff like that. He's wandering away, doing his thing, paying no attention to everything. He looks up and he sees this army is surrounded them and they're in big, big trouble. And he runs back to Elisha and he tells Elisha, Elisha, like, <laughs> they are, there's this surrounding army. What should we do? And, and Elisha, with such confident faith, uh, says to, he just calmly replies uh, in, in 2 Kings 6, verse 16, he says this, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, if you're that servant, you're like, it's me and you, Elisha. There's an army surrounding, like, who's with us? Like, who's this army that you're talking about, Elisha? I don't see them. And so here's what Elisha does. Elisha prays and asks God. He said, God, sh- open his eyes so that he can see. And so all of a sudden, the servant opens his eyes, and he sees these chariots of fire and these diff- this army, this angelic army surrounding them, and he's going to protect them. And what God d- does is he blinds that army. <laughs> and yet again, Elisha and his servant and those with him get right through and actually lead them. And so eventually where Ben-Hadad said, enough's enough. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to win this battle. So he stopped uh, <laughs> agitating and going after the Israelite army. You see, in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your struggle, in the hardships and the lows, you need the Lord to open your eyes to see how he's been there and he's always been there. If your faith is in the Lord, those who trust in the Lord, if your faith is in him, that you can see he's with you. Some of you have experienced that. You've experienced his presence, his surrounding presence, his protective presence around your life. You've experienced it and you've seen it. You recognize what Elisha was seeing all along, that God was fighting his battles for him, that he was going ahead of him, that he was, as we've been looking at in Psalm 121 and 123 and 24, seeing that the Lord is our keeper, he's our help. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And see, he understands this. This psalmist gets it, and he's saying, those who trust in the Lord are the ones who are like this, that they're surrounded, that the Lord surrounds his people in verse 2. David, in Psalm 34, 7, said, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. You see, those who trust in the Lord personally experience his surrounding care. The question is, do you, have you, experience this? Do you experience the Lord's surrounding care? Have you recognized that God is on your side? Is your faith in the Lord or is it somewhere else? The psalmist continues in verse uh, 3 and 4. 
He continues, and he's, here's our next point is this. Those who trust in the Lord, they pursue holiness. Those who trust in the Lord pursue holiness. They, it's not flipped. It's not, all right, I'm going to pursue holiness and hope that God then will accept me. No, those who have put their faith in the Lord pursue holiness. They pursue right and righteous living. They have a pure heart. Look at what he says. He says, For the scepter of the wicked shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Again, picturing his protective uh, care for his people. But then look at verse 4. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their heart. He says, do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their heart. Those who are been, have been putting their trust in the Lord, God, continue to do good to them. God, help them, help us, God, to continue to be upright in heart. Give us the, the, the faith and the confidence and the, and the ability to do what's right, to honor you with my words, with my action, the way I interact with people. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good. But notice what he says. This is the warning side, verse 5. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, notice this, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. See, this is a strong warning. It's a strong warning for those who choose to beat to their own drum, to trust in anything outside of God. He says, ultimately, they will suffer unimaginable consequences. And it's as if this, you turn your back on the Lord and you're saying, all right, I'm done. I'm done with you, God. I, I, I don't, I don't want to pursue you anymore. I'm done with you. It's as if he's saying, all right, fine. The Lord will lead you with all the rest of the evildoers. This is a serious warning. Those who turn aside to their crooked ways. Maybe you started out trying to be pure in heart, but maybe you have the wrong motives. Again, you're doing, it with the, you're doing it in your own power, not in the Lord's power. Not by grace have you been saved, but you're trying to do it through effort. And so your effort, and you're trying to be holy. I'm going to be trying to good. Listen, this was my life from about 5 to 17. For those years, I just tried to earn God's favor. I understood grace was by, that salvation was by grace alone, in, by, by faith alone, in Christ alone. I understood that concept. I understood who Jesus was. I understood heaven and I understood hell. But I was treating God as if he was a genie in a bottle or something, or I was treating him like as he was this mat, like this person who's going to zap me. And so everything I was doing in my life was trying to get him to accept me, get him to bless me. God, bless me. Look what I'm doing, so bless me. Or accept me. I don't think I'm good enough, so I'm going to pray a prayer again and again. No, this is what the psalm is saying. Those who already put their trust in the Lord, pursue holiness because they, they see who God is. They, under, they understand, they've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. They understand who God is, what he's done, and it leads to pure in heart or upright in their hearts, straight paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is a lot of people's life verse. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths. He will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord. Again, the object, your trust, your faith is in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. With all, like, listen, put your faith in the Lord, and what is he going to do? He's going to make your paths straight. But guess what happens? Well, we don't do that. Oftentimes, we lead ourselves. We choose to go about our lives the way we want them to go, and we pursue the way we think things should go, and we do those things. And guess what? We end up on this crooked, messed up path, 
so often. And, and, and the psalmist is warning against this, and he's saying, listen, don't do this, but those who turn aside to the crooked ways, the Lord will, it's like as if, like, like, you know, like someone's like, all right, well, whatever, and it's like, let me show you the door. It's almost as if the Lord is showing them the door. Of the All right, fine. You don't trust in me? Here, don't let that door hit you on the way out almost. I mean, in all seriousness, I think we take this very seriously. Like Romans 1, if you read Romans 1, you see eventually someone whose heart is so opposed to God, so denying God that eventually it's like, all right, instead of giving you any bit of grace, live in your sin. See what that gets you. Listen, let that be a warning to us. Put our trust in, our object of our faith, in the Lord. And he says, those who trust in the Lord, they pursue holiness. I love, I love some of these verses because they're good reminders for us. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do you want to be God's opponent? Try to live life your way. Do you want to go against God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the, the maker of heaven and earth? You want to oppose him? Live a prideful life. Live life your way. It's going to be a crooked path. You might live successfully in the eyes of the world, but in the end, it's destruction. It's worthless. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And what happens? He will lift you up. The way up is so opposite. The way up is actually down. Humble yourselves. Fourth point, and this is our last point, is this. Those who trust in the Lord experience lasting peace. Ultimately, you could really put this as a psalm in this way and categorizing all this section, this whole psalm in this way. And it's as if the psalmist has already experienced it and his desire is for Israel to have this. So he prays a prayer and he says, Peace be upon Israel. But we can see this principle throughout Scripture that peace, true peace, only comes through God. It only comes through God. You can try to find peace. And I would, I argue, this is probably the main thing that most, that almost every single person who's ever lived is pursuing. They're pursuing peace. They just want peace. They want still. They want life to be smooth and easy. I find myself praying those kind of prayers. God, like, just make my life easier. Like, I, I, like help my kids to behave this week. Help, like, um, let this person do this or that person do that. Like, like God, give me this uh, in this situation or give me that. And it's because why? We're wanting peace. We want our life to be joyful and filled with good, and we don't want any struggle. And, and so we try to find it in all these places. We're saying, maybe I'll have peace if I pursue this. Or if I have this relationship, then I'm going to have peace. Or maybe if I try really hard and I do this, I'll experience peace. Ultimately, though, those who trust in the Lord are the ones who experience lasting peace. And how do you get this? How do you, how do you, how do you be this kind of, like this psalmist here? How do you have this kind of confidence, this kind of peace, this kind of trust. How can you experience this? Ultimately, all of this is more about the who than the what. Yes, we can know, all right, the person who trusts in the Lord experiences this. The person who trusts in the Lord experiences that. But it's more about the who, the Lord. That aspect is, cannot be missed all faith is put in objects. The object of our faith is the most important thing. But we often put our faith in things, relationships, security, our parents, our security of our spouse, job, bank accounts, health. Who are, here's the question, though, is who are you putting your trust in? 
Where is your trust? Where is your confidence? Because it's like, I think all of us were like, man, I want an unshakable faith. I want this. Like, I want this in my life. When trials come, I'm like, man, I'm, I can take this. I can take a beating and keep going forward because my confidence is, here's the point, it's in the Lord. But here, you're weak. This week in front of you, all right? You're, you're going to be faced with all kinds of obstacles, frustrations, disappointment, hurt, whatever may be in front of you. How can you go into this week confidently? You see, it is all about relationship. You can try to earn it. Try to, man, let me, let, me, let me earn it. But think about all relationships. Think about one thing that all relationships, all relationships only really naturally function off of really this one word, trust. Trust. You trust someone, you feel confident in that relationship. You feel connected in that relationship. You feel, you feel good at ease in your relationship. I mean, talking about earthly relationship. I'm not even talking about your relationship with the Lord. Just in general, you have trust in a person. You, when that trust is strong, you, you feel confident. Like, you feel like, man, I believe in this person. I can trust when, when they're away from me, that they're not flirting with someone else or they're pursuing something else. I feel confident in that. Here's the thing. God is the sure foundation. We're the untrust, untrustworthy ones. We're the ones who are the ones who are like getting distracted and like, oh man, that, that, that thing's pretty, that's really pretty. That thing's really nice. I think I want this for my life. And here's the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the giver of all good, and you're pursuing trinkets. So what does this week look like for you? What does last week look like? What was your time with the Lord? Did you walk with him? Did you once talk to him besides maybe asking for him to bless your meal did you commune with the lord did you pray did you pray to him when you were faced with an, a challenge when you had to have a hard conversation with a child or when you had to deal with a certain thing or you're going to make a decision did you do you ever think to talk to god about it did you ever think to go to him in prayer did you did you spend time in his word did you did you actually look at it and say man I'm going to learn something new about God. And, and I, I see, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways, like Psalm 128. You hear this and you're like, how do I know what God is like? You know what he's like because he's given us his word. He has revealed himself. He's called, John literally gives the word. He says, the word became flesh. Literally, he's the word. Jesus is the expression of who God is. And he's given us a written word in text form that we can learn about him and we can have more confidence in him. See, the more you spend time with him, the more you love him, the more you want him, the more you desire him. Listen, are we all perfect? No, am I imperfect? Man, yes, absolutely, you know this. I think I say this pretty often. I mean, I struggle with all kinds of things. I put my hope in him and I say, God, forgive me for when I just... I pursued something that wasn't yours, or I went and made a decision without ever even thinking of talking to you about it. So I just ask for his forgiveness because I know if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. So I put my trust that he will forgive me. And then I can move forward, not like he's going to dangle it over me like, Eric, remember when you forgot to do your devotions yesterday? You know, God doesn't do that. He doesn't dangle stuff over you. He desires you. He comes with, he's like the, the prodigal son. He's the father looking out, waiting for you to come across the horizon. And then he's just going to run after you and he pursues you. 
This is the object of your faith. This is why I would say, like, read Colossians again if you need to understand who God is and what he's like. Read it again and read it again and read it again and just delve into scripture and let God speak to you through his word and let that build that kind of unshakable faith because he's not moving. He is unshakable. We're not, I get it. That's why we put our confidence in him. But here's the cool part. God gives you the grace. He's a gracious God to give you the grace and the ability to have an unshakable faith. A faith like this psalmist is proclaiming. It's a faith that lasts. It's a faith that endures. And it brings with it unbelievable peace. That's why Paul can say, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So cast it to him. Give him your request. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, what is it going to do? It's going to actually guard your heart and your mind in person, Christ Jesus. See, he's the object of our faith. When our faith is in Christ, that can give us the peace that will guard our heart and mind in him. Listen, this is the object. This is why we worship. This is why we call this the Lord's Day, to worship the Lord God. We're going to sing a song here in just a second called Great Are You. He is great. I hope you've experienced the truth of that. And that leads you to a faith that is unshakable. So when the storms of life come and they can be tsunamis, and you might be in the middle of one and you're like, I'm drowning, literally drowning. Go back to a couple chapters back that we've looked at already. And he says these kind of things in these words. I mean, he literally gives it right to us that the Lord surrounds his people. But even if you look back at Psalm 124, he says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. He says, the flood would have swept us away. But he's saying, that would have been if the Lord was on our side. But the Lord surrounds his people. Experience it, believe it, put your faith in him. Listen, he is the only one who deserves your full faith and trust because he is a trustworthy God. Put your hope in him. I want to end with this one. I forgot to put it in my notes, but I had it in my notes on my phone. I want to read it to you. Um, St. Patrick, we celebrate that uh, on a, uh, we're not going to talk about St. Patrick's Day, um, but St. Patrick was um, a 16-year-old boy, was sold as a slave um, in the Roman Empire, and he ended up getting and running away and getting to Ireland. And he's been known as one who brought Christianity to Ireland. But in, and while he was on there, there there's this one thing that um, is a surviving prayer known as St. Patrick's Breastplate. And listen to what he said. There's been a Getty song that's been written around this, 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 these words too. But listen to what he said. It says, but I arise today through God's strength to pilot me. God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's way to lie before me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me from snares of devils, from temptations of vices, from everyone who shall wish me ill. Christ to shield me today against poison, against burning, against drowning, against wounding, so that there may come to be abundance of reward. And this is the, I think there's a song that has these words in it. He says, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise. I arise today through a mighty strength. You see, the Lord surrounds 
his people. He is a help. He's a very present help in time of trouble and need. Put your trust in him because he's trustworthy. This God is quick to save. He's mighty to save. He's a wonderful Lord. He's a loving, uh, kind, and gracious God who desires your relationship. Trust him with your life. Give him, like, let it go. What is it maybe you need to let go of? Let me pray as we close. Father, thank you so much for your care. You care so much for us. I know in the midst of trials, we don't see it sometimes. And maybe we need to be like Elisha's servant who's like, I don't see it. And we need someone to point us and remind us that God actually does surround his people. That he is there. Those who trust in the Lord can be like Mount Zion, immovable, unshakable faith. God, give us this kind of unshakable faith. Uh, May we be Um, maybe be like the one in the Gospels who says, I believe, but help my unbelief. God, maybe some in here are going like, I don't know, I've been going through so much hardship that I'm just questioning everything. I'm not sure who God is anymore. I'm not sure what he's like, if he even cares. God, I pray rather than running from him and running from his word and questioning these things and continuing to run, that instead we would run right back to you and your word. They would seek your word and look to your heart. And God, you would speak through, to us through the trial, through the difficulty, through the, the anxiety, the pain, and that we would rest and experience, as we, one of our points last week, experience the victory that you've already won for us, that we'd rest in your victory. So we thank you for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who comes and lives a sinless life and is put on a cruel, cruel cross to pay the price, to pay the penalty for my sin and for our sin. And we experience that truth and believe it with all of our hearts that we put our faith in the Lord Jesus for salvation. Maybe some in this room, God, have never really put their faith in you. I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they wouldn't put it off any longer, that they would cry out to you for salvation and hope and, and experience a lasting peace that is this day can be from this day forth forever more so god would you be gracious and kind to give that to grant that to someone who's in need today that they'll put their trust in you god help us to believe these truths thank you that you are our great lord and messiah and king and so uh, we look to you for help so help us to even as we sing another song to you may we worship you adore you and rest in you we ask this in your son's name amen